Just wanted to take a moment up top at the beginning of this episode to provide a quick content warning. There are sequences of body horror in this episode. All right, let's get to it. What's up, everybody? John here. We're coming up close to the end of another year and the close of another chapter in the story of the Epic Tracer crew. In our last episode, the crew explore the space after departing the ruins of New Elysium on their way to Verses, trying to catch up with the elusive Kaon Reese. In the closing of the episode, we witness the Epic Tracer drifting unknowingly into a strange anomaly. There's been no shortage of that in this AP, and as the crew head towards, well, away from the diaspora, it felt appropriate to bring the lore behind the mysterious asteroid belt to a close. In our last segment on the lore behind the diaspora, we covered the native denizens, the Sarkeesians, and the origin of the diaspora. Concluding our visit to the diaspora, I wanted to explore the itinerant peoples that established a residency in the diaspora and their motivations. Now, a trip to the diaspora should not be taken lightly. While the enigmatic and sometimes perilous layout of the diaspora is certainly a concern, when one decides to willingly travel through this area, the real problem would be the diluted sense of authority in these badlands. Too large for the stewards to impose the rule of law in any true sense, piracy is the single largest threat in the diaspora. The most notorious of which is a group called the Free Captains, who target any vulnerable trade route holding the potential to fill their coffers, as space pirates are wont to do. While the asteroid belt holds countless docking stations, ports, and safe havens for fugitives, outcasts, and pirates, it is the broken rock that the Free Captains establish as their headquarters. An asteroid spanning 450 miles, its surface and caverns had been colonized and fortified sometime during the gap. Of course, its precise location is a closely guarded secret. Otherwise, legal entities such as the stewards would gain a significant advantage in curbing the free captain's extra-legal activities. Even in the event of an attack, the broken rock is said to be a fortress, equipped with an array of automated capital laser weapons known collectively as the broadsides, to deter any incursion. Although the free captains can largely be seen as autonomous, allegiance is in fact held toward an elected council of pirate lords. The pirate council routinely meets on Broken Rock to discuss important topics such as which megacorporations' vessels are off-limits, and are also the authoritative body in resolving large disputes between its members. If they find a rival group of marauders or smugglers infringing on their territories, it is the pirate council that facilitates the dispensation of bounties. As a foundation, free captains maintain a loose unity through a set of codes that guide their conduct when raiding, capturing, and destroying other spacefaring vessels. One prime target for the free captains are the spaceways surrounding the star citadel Heorod, an immense asteroid carved to bear the likeness of its inhabitants, the dwarves. To combat this threat, the dwarves maintain a small navy that's usually capable of fending off these attacks. With holdings ranging from large organized mining operations to the more traditional dwarven star citadels, the industrious dwarves are as widespread as the Sarkeesians and constitute the largest group within the diaspora. Directly following the gap, the dwarves struggled with their identity as well as agreeing on a new direction for their species, creating an existential crisis after the loss of their homeworld, Galarian, and their primary deity, Torag. Although fragmented, some established a mining colony called Arngranum before it too was lost to the chaotic conflicts of the era. After the first star citadel had been carved and constructed, thousands of dwarves occupied its vast stone halls, 
built in the style reminiscent of the long-lost sky citadels of ancient dwarven history. It is here where the Council of Rivathun, an ancient order of dwarven animists who treat with spirits for knowledge and power, govern Heorod. Communing with these spirits provide much-desired insight into understanding the dwarves' role and purpose in the universe in hopes of applying that knowledge and moving forward to a new golden age. It's even said that dwarves who reside within Heorod also are capable of channeling benevolent spirits, often of their ancestors, after extended meditation on their past travails. Now, if you feel so inclined to sail the open vast, marauding and smuggling, or simply laugh at the concept of personal property, the Pact World's rulebook has you covered. Within, you'll find the Space Pirate theme, granting a boost to dexterity as well as providing additional focus to fit that rakish ne'er-do-well you've conjured. If you feel a strange connection to stone or see yourself as a miner in your past life, be sure to check out the Dwarf Race in the Legacy section of the Core Rulebook. And don't overlook those new alternate ability adjustments within the Character Operations Manual Rulebook, which provides some extra novelty to your particular flavor of Dwarf. Well, there you have it folks. Hope you've enjoyed this deep dive of the Diaspora and maybe it's inspired your own elements to include in that character or story that you want to take on. We'd love to hear what interests you the most about the Diaspora and the STF Discord. In the meantime, let's shed a little light on episode 97, The Little Lab Will Do Ya. going on my cutie patooties <laughs> how are y'all doing honey buns i'm doing good boo boo <laughs> i can hear it y'all we are here on episode 97 okay like that's three from 100 and you know we haven't really really talked, we haven't really talked about it yet on the show like episode 100 is right around the corner y'all like yeah i to mean me, I feel like, like i'm stoked about it i'm curious you know, do y'all care about episode 100 or is it just the next episode in the chain or? I mean, I'm mm, stoked about whatever. it. I just feel like every other podcast in the world makes a like 50 episode run up to 100. So I'm glad we didn't do that. And yeah, like, we're oh. starting at 97. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, just like not shutting the fuck up about it for 50 mm-hmm. episodes, you know? Right. It's like we've done 50 episodes. The next 50, we're going to talk about 100 every time. Yeah, no, right. I, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we are close. And so I do think it's might be worth talking about a little bit. Um, you know, we just finished book one. Some shit got weird last mm-hmm. episode. And, and uh, you know, episode 100 happening in Signal of Screams. Do you feel like that that has some extra potential for, for weirdness? Obviously it does. But, you know, where what are y'all feeling about about this milestone coming up? Uh, a little I mean, bit of trepidation, right. but I mean that's appropriate for the uh, the AP. But um, I'm excited to see what your noodle is going to produce for us. Oh yeah, yeah, with your fine ass, with your fine <laughs> ass. That's right. 
Uh, what, what about you, Em? I'm really excited, but I also, so like, I also feel very uncertain. Like, I feel like, you know, when 50 hit, we all kind of were, we knew what was coming up. We knew what it was about and what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's the situation, you know, based on where we last or left last episode. I don't know what things are going to look like at all. Mm. And I'm very excited about that, but I'm also kind of like, John said it. It's very, you know, a little trepidish trip. You'll get it. Trepidatious. I got there. There you go, boo boo. Uh, Zach, do you want to one explain why we're giving each other all these pet names, and two tell me where you're what you're thinking about for a hundred? Um, this video showed up on Reddit where this cashier is is like calling pet names to his customers, and they're uh, freaking out because yeah. their fragile masculinity is being attacked, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Um, uh. As far as 100 goes, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm excited about it. Uh, it should be fun. I know more than we're letting on like we know because we had to do a thing, mm-hmm. but we will not talk about that. So um, <laughs> You're being so vague. <laughs> I'm being extremely <laughs> vague about it. Such uh, vagaries. <laughs> um, shout out to Albert on that yeah, one. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, it just gets, it should be fun. I guess. I hope it's your responsibility to make sure it's really good, Adam. No pressure. Oh shit! I'm supposed to be doing something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't worry, we got it. Yeah. Well, you, you got, got three more episodes. Two more episodes. <laughs> I got three weeks to get this shit together. Yeah. All right, you got this, cutie patootie. Uh, <laughs> get out of here with your goofy ass, uh, <laughs> Heath. You know, you, you mentioned a little bit of distaste for overhyping. A hundred, but I, I know that you got a little bit of excitement coming up towards it, you know? Yeah, and, sure. and as Zach led on, we, we, we are, there's a little bit more awareness than, than we're being forthcoming with, but even then still, uh, not sure exactly what that means, you know? Uh, but more so it's like a milestone for us as a podcast. How are you feeling about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. I mean, l- like you said, we, you could say like we have a plan of sorts, but like the players who have done a thing, as Zach said, like, yeah, we've done a thing for episode 100, but that still doesn't tell us anything about what we're getting into. Yeah. Like, we right. still have no idea what this yep. is going to be. So, I mean, I'm excited. I, I always like, you know, the surprise of what's, what's around the next corner or whatever. I'm always a little hesitant about, uh, you know, the horror content, the signal scream stuff, but that's, that's just what it is, and that's where it's going to be. So, I mean, I'm I'm pumped about it. Try to, to you know go into some uncharted territory, I guess. And and I mean, I'm proud of us for making it through as many episodes as we have because I mean, a hundred episodes of the main show plus all the Tom Talks episodes plus all the STFU episodes plus all the Hacky Sack Heroes episodes, and then doing a show with the hideous laughter people. Like we've done a lot of stuff uh, under the umbrella of this podcast. Yeah, we've made a lot of content since April, 2019 feels like a thousand years ago um, yeah. in the before content, times. Content I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of us for that, which does make me want to bring up. I'm not super proud of myself because last episode, when we did our level ups, I 
made a mistake. Oh god damn it! He. It's not. A, it's not. We'll, a big we'll get to it. I'm going to let Josh speak on 100, and then we'll come back to your mistake. All right. All right. Josh, you got anything to add to the to Ep 100 hype conversation? Yeah, just to to kind of add on to what Heath was saying, like a hundred episodes for anything, any series, any podcast, really is honestly kind of an absurdly large amount of episodes in my mm-hmm. mind. You know, and not that it's a bad thing, but like that's that's a, a landmark for us to be proud of mm-hmm. to have had this and have built a community around us playing this game. Yeah, I mean, it's a big story now. I mean, 100 hours plus worth of content Mm -hmm. in this story alone. It's well over 100 hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's probably Probably closer to 250 or something. 200, I'd say. Yeah. Um, But, but yeah, it's a, it's a, like, I'm not one to really get hyped about many things, but this definitely feels like an accomplishment. Well, I will say that I'm excited about episode 100, of course, but I feel like, Starting with last week's episode and then tonight and the episodes leading up to it, it, I'm really excited about them as a whole. And I think that we're in for a pretty good little stretch of episodes. And it's, uh, it's some developments I've been looking forward to for a while. And we've gotten little tastes of it with last week's episode, a little bit more on Kuiper's background and. There's more of that to come for sure, uh, as him being the only character that we don't have a long backlog of flashbacks for. So, you know, that I'm really excited to dig into that story. I'm excited to dig into the, the main story that we're, that's going on in Signal of Screams. And I don't know. I, I, I really, I really hope that these next couple episodes stand out beyond just being episode 100 right i'd like to see this as a nice block of episodes before we get into trying to make that happen he you said you made a mistake yeah and it's it's not that big a deal okay. um i brought up that i got as part of my progression through the the armor storm fighting style that i got smashed through which i did but i uh smash through gives me a plus four to my bull rushes Okay, so that's the the whole arc of the last like three level ups has been getting my uh, combat maneuver to do bull rushes right. as high as I can get it. So um, it's very realistic to be doing that in combat. So it gives me a plus four to that. And <clears throat> I've referenced this coming up before. If I push somebody 10 feet with a bull rush, I can also make an attack while doing it. So that's that's very cool. I didn't mention the attack part. But I guess just like because it's called Smash Through, I could have sworn that I had read this numerous times. I, it's the door thing. I thought it gave me a bonus to like smashing through doors, and it does not at all have anything to do with doors. So doors are still going to be a problem Damn it. for you. Yep. Well, there we go. Well, but I mean, I could bull rush a door. And and try to make the argument like, bro, I can bust through a door. I mean, I mean I'm pretty sure most doors do have a hardness, a hardness, and AC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or they also this have like a, break DCs too if yeah. you're trying to just smash through. Which well, I get. And the, you know, the smash reason, through does sound like you should be able to bust through doors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally called smash through. <laughs> right. right. Um, but yeah, I mean, the problem we have with doors is never our ability to damage them; it's to unlock them. Right. 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 Well, it's to decide which one to go through too. I mean, that's, that's right. a, it's a stumper every time. There's, I mean, there's so many doors. Right. 
I can choose only one. Well, last episode, there were no, no doors. You just went through a void as this cloud of shadow wrapped around the Epic Tracer. And we ended in, in, in blackness. Um, and that's where we're going to start tonight is in pitch black void. Out of the blackness, we see the shape of Michael Agamason take form in the shadows. Mike has no armor, no weapons, just a tank top and some gym shorts. Slowly, light begins to reveal a familiar locker room. Mike sees a much younger version of himself throttling his adoptive father, Gardenzio. The Vesk is snarling at the older man, his scaly knuckles turning white as he squeezes Gardenzio's throat. What do you do, Mike, as you see yourself strangling Gardenzio? I see myself. See a younger ver- you see the younger version of yourself. Okay, so I'm not seeing this in first person, is what I'm saying. Right. You you see you can see it's like visually seeing a memory. You recognize this as the time in the locker room after the fight that was rigged, but you you are as yes, physically seeing another version a younger version of yourself do this. You're not seeing it through the younger version's eyes. You're just standing there as an observer of the scene. I don't know. I mean, I think I would let it play out. See if it lines up to, if it continues to line up to my memory of that, you know, or if it changes. It does. It does. And, um, like all the way up through to the end of the memory. And when you walk out of the locker room and when the younger version of yourself walks out of the locker room, everything kind of dissolves into shadow once again. The blackness rearranges and pulls away to reveal that you're actually in a laboratory, painted in shades of electric blue and murder black. You see a figure draped in a white lab coat, but all of their features are cloaked in darkness. Red eyes, their only discernible feature. Michael, it is a pleasure to meet you. You have such magnificent power and an impressive capacity to cause beautiful pain. It is truly an honor to see you in the flesh. You might be wondering why I showed you this memory of yours. So allow me to elucidate you. Your ability to strike fear into others can go beyond just the paltry snarls you have used in the past. What if I told you that you could convert fear into actual pain 
And no, I don't mean just squeezing a neck harder like you have done twice now to your poor, poor guardian. I mean channeling your actual intimidation through the very vessels of your body. When you were at your lowest, Michael, what reminded you that you were alive? Pain. The power of pain is beyond your understanding. I can teach you. You can use it to strike down your enemies. But you can also use it to protect your loved ones. Pain is merely the other side of pleasure, Michael. Your captain knows this. And I think you may too. Do you think she keeps you around because of your good humor? No, Michael. You are a dealer of pain. No matter what fancy badge you slap on your armor. I understand your need to protect. So... Look at pain like this. You can embody pain, convert it to pleasure, and control your enemies with it. You want to protect your friends by continuing to take their wounds for them. I want this too. But I want you to understand that this is the only way to triumph over pain. By embracing it. Turn it into joy for you and into absolute fear for your enemies. What do you say? I say if you don't explain to me where the fuck I'm at and what the fuck's going on here, you're going to learn about a thing or two about pain. Oh, so disappointing, Michael. There's no need for that. I'm here to help. I'm merely a scientist who has discovered the truths about pain. I know that you feel it inside. I've seen your your mind. I know who you are. You take pain for others. You must understand in some subconscious level the beauty of it all. I'll do what I've got to do to keep my people safe. And if that involves a boatload of pain on my end, then so be it. You said you know me. My fucking boxer. My soldier. My former gang member. Pain's all I've ever known. Yes. And look at you now. Pain has molded you into a warrior. You would not be as strong and as tough as you are without it. Yeah, you're right. So what what do you want from me? Who who the fuck are you? Just a scientist. What I want is for you to embrace the pain and develop your f- fear, your capacity to cause 
fear in others. And she reaches out and touches your forehead. And everything goes black. Sometime later, your vision returns to you. And you find yourself strapped to a laboratory table. Cold, metal, with electrodes attached to your temples. Blackness. Now, we see Fell emerging out of the blackness. Again, without gear, and this time, simply naked. His skin, still unchanging, scarred, and dull. The space takes shape around Felino, and we see that he is standing in his workshop at the well-known Sky Dock. He sees himself working on a ship, wiping his brow. He watches as the younger version of himself turns his head towards the top of the stairs, and a Verthani executive opens the door into the maintenance bay, a young Kayan Reese. The smiling executive waves at Fell, and the mechanic offers a greasy wave in return. Fell, a voice startles you as it speaks directly next to you. You know, he speaks fondly of you, Felino. You turn to your right, and you see the shadowy figure in the white lab coat standing next to you. But even at this close of a distance, you still can't make out any features other than the glowing red eyes. Oh, do keep watching. As you turn back to the scene, Kaon has made his way to your younger self, and just as the two Verthani shake hands, the entire dock shudders and then ripples with shadow. The violent disturbance ends as quickly as it began, but now the docking bay seems to be coated in inky blackness. Shadows loom larger. Light is dimmer. Your gaze looks out of the exit bay, and you're taken aback as you no longer see the tidally locked landscape of Verses. It has been replaced by the milky purple essence of the drift. And shaking you even further, you watch as the epic tracer flies by. The shadowy scientist says to you, Oh, do look closer. And all of a sudden you are thrust with violent speed directly towards the epic tracer into open space. Overwhelmed with fear and unable to stop your trajectory, a window grows larger as you approach, and you can see yourself looking back at you, both of you sharing the same expression of fear and confusion on your face, and then you splatter against the side of the ship and are consumed by blackness. In this blackness, you hear the scientists speak out to you. Wake up, Mr. Morano. I apologize for the severity of that experience. But you needed to feel the truth and embrace the pain of your situation. You see, you have been touched by the shadow plane longer than any of your companions. I think you might have known this all along. Fell, you come to groggy, but alive. As you bat your eyes open, you find yourself in a blue lab with the scientist standing before you. 
Her red eyes seem to glow and pulse and sink with her speech as she continues. Fell, how many times have you felt like an outsider, even among your crew? I know they have tried to make you feel a part of them, but yet you still endure that pain of feeling alone. Do you not? No, no, the, 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 the crew loves me. They, they, I mean, yeah, it was that, the... felt that when I first got here, but I mean, not anymore. Search your feelings, Fel. Who would you call your confidant in this group? Uh, any of them. Mm. It's good to make friends, is it not? I wonder why it is that you are unable to sustain relationships, Mr. Morano. Hey, what, what do you mean I'm not able to sustain relationships? I, I've, I've... These people are family to me. What about your actual family, Fel? I know you have no intention on visiting them as you return to Versus. And not everybody's close with their family. What's wrong with that? What's you that are an outsider, anything? and you always have been. What's what are you getting at? What's your point? What do you? I'm sorry for the way that I'm revealing this to you. It's can be difficult for me. What you might have thought in your past was loneliness or. That feeling of being just on the outside. An inability to fit in or find your place. That's actually a connection to the shadow plane. Your recent visit to New Elysium finally brought you to the power that you could have. You are no mere mechanic, Phil. Your ability to understand the inner workings of things has been limited to machines. It's a shame, really. But your potential blooms before you now. How many times have you broken something so you could make it better? Taken something apart and rebuilt it with a stronger vision? You have the same power to do this with flesh. You have lost your ability to change your skin pattern, but what you have gained is an understanding of the coldness of shadow and how it pulses through all things. Turn your deft mechanic touch into the cold, calculating precision that you enjoy so much. And she extends her hand to you and offers you a very shiny, very sharp scalpel. What do, you, what do you expect me to do with this? Oh, in time, dear. And she gestures to a door that kind of appears in the scene in front of you. If you would. Uh, so Fell goes through the door into blackness. 
Returning to that blackness, we hear the sounds of chittering, laser blasts, screams, and explosions in the darkness. We see an unarmored Kuiper take shape as the scene forms into a war-torn landscape. The Patra knows that he is back on Kestaval and looks up on the ridge and sees the younger version of himself in struggle for his life with a Thresher Lord swarm component. A branch snaps next to older Kuiper, and he turns quickly trying to draw his gun, only to find that it is not on his waist. A shadowy scientist stands before him, and Kuiper activates his hidden blade in his hand, the point just pushing against the scientist's neck. She steps forward ever so slightly, allowing the spike to pierce her neck, a dribble of blood running down her throat, and she smiles in ecstasy. Sergeant Vargas, none of that is necessary, though it is appreciated. I'm here to apologize. You see, some time ago, I was working so hard to develop a technology that would have allowed you and your fellow soldiers to fight your enemies, not fearing and avoiding pain, but embracing it and feeling its pleasure. Imagine an orgasmic feeling coursing through your veins as you lose your arm up there. And she nods to the ridge just in time for you to see your arm ripped from the socket. She touches your shoulder and the scene dissipates in shadow, only to reform again in this blue and black toned lab. Perhaps your mind isn't quite ready to grasp what I mean by orgasmic pain. Let's take another tactic. You were a participant in Shadow Ops, yes? And being able to speak, what kind of maricades is this? Who are you? A scientist invested in your livelihood. What interest is it of yours to be of interest of a bounty hunter. You want to know about Shadow Ops? No, I will not give this to you. Well, I was merely being polite, Kuiper Vargas. I know that you were. The pleasantries are over. State your business. That is fair. How many times have you wished you could just evaporate in the shadows? Whether it was to avoid a swarm component or to avoid detection from a mark that you were hunting, you have already had a taste of what pain can offer you. With just the slight bit of atrophy to your physical form, you have been able to hide in plain sight, a skill that I imagine you must find invaluable. Imagine if you allowed for just a small nick in that overthinking brain of yours. It would allow you to be able to... And then she disappears directly behind you. Her cold voice startles you. Move through shadow itself. You're quick. I didn't see your movements. The shadow hides many things, Mr. Vargas. 
Well, I will say, the shadows have given me some benefit. This is just the beginning, Sergeant. What would I have to give up? That will come in time. I must wonder that you must know that at some point these new companions of yours are going to turn on you. You don't work with teams, Kuiper. You work best solo. Don't let yourself be distracted by these idealistic fools. You are smarter than that. In fact, you might be the smartest among them. The way to understanding the beauty and ecstasy of pain is through shadow for you, Kaipa. But you must just let go a little. I don't bank on assumptions, although I may stand on my own. This crew and I still share an interest. My mission is to find Kayon Reese. Yes, and your mission is what exactly with Mr. Reese? That is none of your concern. I thought that pleasantries were being pushed aside here, Mr. Vargas. Look, do you know where I can find Kayon Reese? Otherwise, our business is concluded. You are already on the path to Mr. Reese, Sergeant Vargas, and you know this. Now, I have given you the compliment of calling you smart. I suggest you start acting like it. You are hunting Mr. Reese. You are with a group that prides themselves on being protectors. What do you think is going to happen when they find Mr. Reese? One of this crew is friends with this gentleman. They are not going to take your bounty hunter ways lightly. And at that time, you will need to hide in the shadows. You may not like my methods, Vargas. But you know that I am right. Not everything that you say is a lie. Nothing I say is a lie, Mr. Vargas. What do you offer? Please, step through that door. You step through the door? As you do, you're swallowed by blackness, and you fall unconscious. An indeterminable amount of time later, you wake up, strapped to a metal operating table, electrodes attached to your head, and Mike laying in the exact same manner next to you. Blackness. The captain comes into view, wearing a very simple but nice black dress. It ripples and flows as if part of the shadow itself. There is no scene that comes into view this time, only the vague form of a humanoid adorned in a white lab coat. The white of her coat and the ruby of her eyes present a striking contrast to the black void that surrounds both the scientist 
and Madame Ziva. The scientist smiles an eerie grin as she speaks. Madam Captain Ziva, my sister in shadow, what an honor it is to meet you. The others required memories to ground them in this domain, but you, you are already on the path. In fact, your path to pain potential leads well beyond my offerings. So I can only insist that you let me assist you along the way. To curry favor with the Dark Prince can only bolster my desires to share pain with the universe. You will be his herald, did you know? I think you must certainly, for some of his devout followers must have already begun to try to find you and bring you to the nine truths of the Velstrak. You have already accepted the first two truths, whether you know it or not, and you are well on your way to the third. May I assist you? I'm sorry, what, what is a Velstrak? Oh, I think that your team called it a shadow baby, but uh. that was a lesser form. Nowhere near the beauty that you will become. Uh, what? Is this uh, proposal that you offer, is this what would you require in exchange? Tell me. What do you know and feel about pain? I know much of it. I know how to inflict and how to receive. Yes. How I feel about it is dependent upon the moment. It is inflicted. Now, Madam Ziva, we are sisters here. Let us speak truly. You enjoy the pain that you receive and the pain that you give. I know your past. I know your present. Now let us not hide behind social pretenses. You can speak freely here with me. What do you know and feel about pain? I know I crave it. Yes. And that I feel that I should not. Why do you feel that you should not? Has it not made you stronger, more resilient, more in tune with those that are victimized by it? Yes, but just because 
good can be gleaned from an event does not mean the event should occur again. It should not be inflicted upon others just because. There must be reason. Tell me, why is it that you do the things you do at the Pools of Paradise? The pain that you inflict certainly causes pleasure for many, yes? Yes. I'm not asking you to destroy life. I'm not asking you to cause destruction. Pain is a birth to new and better life. None of your crew would be who they are without the pain they have experienced. This is something you've known since you were a young woman, Sister Ziva. You have accepted the first two truths, and I offer you the third. Will the cost be upon me or upon someone else? Hmm. That is a fair question, and I know that it might cause you some trepidation. In the long run, the pain will be yours, as it has always been. But there is one among you who attempts to sway you from your destiny, Madame Ziva. You have enjoyed pain often, but now you must be willing to cause it. Take this scalpel and show your pilot the ecstasy of pain. You would be doing him a favor by causing him this pain, for you can take away his deeper agony. Take this scalpel and proceed through the next door, please. would reach out and take the scalpel. Blackness. As the blue and black-hued lab shifts into focus, its function is not immediately apparent. Harsh fluorescent lights reflect off a row of metal tables shrouding the rest of the room in darkness. Glass jars on a nearby counter contain sterile swabs and syringes. An open box of surgical tools lays ready next to the jars. The scrubbed metal floor and pristine surfaces suggest this chamber may be a medical bay or a clinic. Oren finds himself strapped to one of the tables. Similar to Mike and Kuiper, yet separated from the other two, his table Mm. is bigger. A strange metal apparatus is mounted to the ceiling above both sets of tables. Thick wires dangle from the devices like lifeless appendages, ending in circular electrodes. Attached to Mike, Kuiper, and Oren. A strong medicinal scent permeates the chilly air. Ziva and Fel stand at a doorway each with scalpels in hand, now dressed in surgeon's scrubs. 
The click of heels on the cold metal tiles shatter the silence. A vaguely humanoid figure dressed in a white lab coat approaches. Her face is wreathed in shadow. Her eyes seem to glow from within. Students, today you will duplicate a procedure of my own invention on these test subjects. But first, a demonstration. And she gestures to the table that Orin is strapped to. And out of the shadows behind Orin's table steps a tall, beautiful, elven woman. Hello, Orin. I've missed you. Have you missed me? You're not real. Uh, That is not the nicest thing that I've ever heard. And she puts her hand on you, and you can feel her warmth against your skin. Ooh. Are you? This is the shadow plane, my dear. Things are a wee different here, and we've been given this opportunity to meet one more time. So I ask again, have you missed me? I've missed you. It's lonely here. (sighs) Orin sighs and uh, says very meekly every day. Orin, why did you shoot me? I didn't mean to. Oh, you didn't mean to. Well, that's a comfort. (laughs) She kind of chuckles lightly. Did you not love me? With all my heart, Ev. Do you still love me with all your heart? Orin, Orin doesn't have any words. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't say anything. Does it still hurt? Yeah. Well, let me help you with your pain. My last gift to you, my love. And the elven woman presses a scalpel to Orin's chest. And his skin splits at the touch of the sharp blade. With an eerie tenderness, Evelyn pulls the knife across the length of his sternum, separating his chest cavity and revealing his beating heart inside. Ziva, you watch, unable to move, yet with an unsettling joy, as this beautiful elf delicately performs her task. Then Evelyn leans over and kisses your pilot's brow as she plunges her hand into his chest and grips his heart. Orin, you feel excruciating pain as her fingers writhe in between your ribs and squeeze around your heart. Yet even as she removes it from your chest, you feel the pain and weight of your guilt and sorrow surrounding the events on Akaton all those years ago dissipate. The pain is not Mm. replaced with pleasure, 
but rather a calming peace of not feeling at all. As tears of pain and lost love stream down your cheek, Evelyn touches your lips with a bloodied finger as you try to speak, leaving the warm metallic taste of blood in your mouth. She leans over to gently kiss you, and with one final crimson embrace, she disappears. Ziva, your blood begins to pulse with anticipation, the scalpel in your hand quivering with excitement. Phil, you look to Mike and Kuiper strapped to the table with a sickening realization that these will be your patients. The red-eyed scientist looks to both Ziva and Fell and says, Keep observing, students. It is important that you get this right. We wouldn't want you killing your friends now, would we? No, the trick is to push the boundaries of pain while still allowing them to live in its glorious ecstasy. Uh, Oren, you're going to go ahead and take... 10 points of piercing damage and 4 points of bleed damage. Ooh. Shit. Orin, you find yourself unable to speak, shaking with terror as your chest cavity remains open and exposed. Then, emerging from the shadows, you see an amber-skinned android with stark white hair approach your operating table. Sedona says, My dear Oren, how is my favorite pilot? He can't speak, right? You can speak now. Oh, he can speak. Oh, okay. Uh, Been better. He says kind of like strained because his chest cavity is split open Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. He's bleeding. Mm -hmm. Once again, Oren, you are too concerned with the present and too weighed down by the past to understand your future. You attempt to lead your friends away from their new obsession with pain, yet you hold on to so much pain yourself. You blame yourself for so much and take on the responsibility for your crew, all while chiding them for embracing their own struggles and hardships. I am only here now because of your tight grip on your own guilt. You saved your crew on Arellos, yet my death consumes you to such a degree that now I have manifested here before you. Certainly you want to be free of this, and I am here to relieve you from your bondage. I forgive you, Oren. Again, Oren is speechless. He doesn't know how to take any of this. She kind of nods her head, kind of sees that you're kind of without words. And from, you know, she had her hands clasped behind her back. And she pulls them out, revealing that in her bronze hand, she is holding a small bone saw. You will never progress to your destiny that Ibra has for you if you continue to dwell in the past. She says as she brings the now spinning saw to your forehead. The grinding sound of metal to bone echoes through the lab as Sedona makes a clean cut around the top of Oren's skull. 
A crown of blood begins to drip down his face and onto the cold tile floor. The pain is excruciating, and the rest of you watch in horror as your former mentor and friend removes the scalp and top plate of your pilot's skull. His brain is exposed, and Sedona switches instruments from the bone saw to what looks like a tiny ice cream scoop. Oren, I want you to know that I do this to help you. You cannot protect your friends from pain if you harbor so much yourself. And with that, she plunges the scoop into a portion of his brain and removes an entire chunk of cerebral mass. Orange screams fill the lab, and the scientist turns to Felonziva. Mr. Marana, if you will, she says as she gestures to the two tables that are occupied by Mike and Kuiper. And, Madam Ziva, your patient awaits. As she points to Oren. Who wants to go first? Fel? Ziva? Fel is just paralyzed. Like, just in shock. um, I'm sorry. She points to Oren? For Ziva? But he's... uh, They've already done so much to him. (laughs) (laughs) What's left to do? Well, let's start with Fel. Um, she says to you, Fel, uh, Mr. Marana, I encourage you to just treat this as if it were one of your starships or a mechanical problem. I would like you to make an incision from Mike's groin to his throat. Please do that for me now. Why? Why? What's, what's get? Uh, why would I do that? To learn. <laughs> she says in kind of like a frustrated manner. You are a mechanic. Do you not want to understand how your companions work? I'm a mechanic. I'm not some ripper doc or some shit like that. Like, you, what you are. Fell, there's so much more to you than you know. Grease is just blood in another form. I don't want you to kill Mike. I want you to make him better. Better like like Oren? Look at him. He's... No, no. Not like Oren. That is your captain's duty. Do not worry about Oren. Fell grits his teeth and very trepidatiously slowly walks towards Mike. All right, Mike, you see Fell walking towards you with a scalpel. I mean, and you're you're strapped to this table. What do you do as he approaches you with a scalpel? I'll immediately start straining against the the restraints and and if Phil, don't don't do this. Roll in acrobatics. Acrobatics? Mhm. Or you can roll. A, you can roll a, a, a athletics. I'll, yeah, I don't, don't think there's anything dexterous about trying to snap him. <laughs> that is a thirty-five because I rolled a natural twenty. Hell you yeah. cannot make your way out. You can't. They just pull, and you're still trapped on this table. As Fell is standing over you. 
with the very little light in the room reflecting off the very tip of the scalpel in his hand. If you touch me with that fucking thing, I'll beat you to death, Fell. You know I will. As you say that, the rest of you, and Fell, you, too, can see shadow going inside Mike's mouth. Like some of the shadows from the room seem to coalesce and and form into a small stream that like goes into his mouth as he's threatening you. Fell looks at Mike, looks back at the scientist and just drops the scalpel and takes a step back. Oh, that is such a shame, Mr. Marana. And she has like a little clicker in her hand and she clicks it and electricity surges through Mike through the electrodes on his skull. And Mike, you are going to take twenty-three points of electric damage as you are you and fell, you just watch him just vibrate with electricity. <laughs> Kuiper, you see this happening right next. You see Mike just filled with electricity and, you know, a little bit of blood trickles out of Mike's ears. And the, and, um, the scientist says to you, now listen, I must once again stress, I do not want any of your companions to die. They must understand the value of pain. But I will kill them if you don't show them the way. This is a lesson as much for you as it is for them, Mr. Marana. Now maybe you won't be so squeamish with Mr. Vargas here, as he is intending to hunt down one of your old friends. Look, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to cause pain to anyone. I, I, that's, that's not who I am. That's not the way. <sighs> Mr. Marana. You are a tinkerer, yes? Yeah, but slicing somebody open for jollies, that's not tinkering. That's, that's It's cool. not just for mere jollies, Mr. Marana. This is science. This is for elevating one beyond the limitations of their bodily perception. You will be making your friend better. You will be making your new companion less susceptible to killing your old friend. This is a gift that I'm offering you. You see this as some sort of negative or foul thing. But that is just a veil over your eyes. The truth of pain will set you free. It will set your friends free. You plan on taking on this corruption with zero understanding of pain? That is not you, Mr. Marana, is it?
look, I still don't even know who the fuck you are, where we are, or what, you, what you're trying to get out of, out of fucking with us like this. And fellow's visibly starting to get angry. Oh, that is a shame. And she pushes her button, and this time it goes on both Mike and Kuiper. And they're going to take 24 points of electric damage, both of them. And she says, I suppose that I will have to teach them this lesson myself. Sister Ziva, you will not disappoint. You understand what we're trying to do here. Please, to your patient. Look across at the three bodies strapped onto the table. Look at Phil. She look at the scientist, doctor, whatever she's calling herself and say, If we learn this lesson, then they will not endure any further pain, correct? I promise you this, Sister Ziva. This lesson provide gifts beyond your imagination with zero effects of this, what you call, corruption. It is my gift to you, to all of you, to show you what you can get, what power you can have. But I offer it in good faith. I offer you these gifts with no strings attached, no moving closer to the shadow, no moving closer to the darkness, merely a taste of understanding of the truths of pain. Ziva would kind of hold up the scalpel a little bit and look at it and step towards Orin. She would make her way that she was essentially standing on the opposite side, being able to watch her essentially over Orin's slab. Uh, So... Once she kind of sees that you're willing to to do this, she says, Yes, I, I think that that scalpel needs a particular adjustment. And she walks over to you, and she touches the scalpel. And the blade begins to radiate with like a kind of black vibration, an aura around the tip of the blade. And as she does that, and as you approach Orin, you see the shape of Orin, but like a purple version of it start to rise above Orin. So you see his physical form still on the table, splayed open, but you see a purple representation of him float above with a tether connecting from his spine to the physical spine. And then she turns back to Fel. She says, Do you still resist my education? My gifts? 
if I promise you that this, that if you participate, that your friends will not die? In fact, perhaps maybe even Kuiper wants you to do this. Have you thought about asking him? Fell thinks about it for a moment that feels like an eternity and asks Kuiper you want me to do this? Kuiper you go to respond but you feel as if whatever is in your throat the vocal modulator that's in your throat has seized your entire vocal cords and you are unable to make any sound other than croaks and gasps what do you do? So Kuiper is trying to communicate. He's pulling at his at his bondage, struggling and violently, and trying to shout. And eventually it kind of dies down a little bit to where he knows that he has no choice in this matter. And kinda just goes catatonic. And he's just like I get he, he accepts he accepted his fate at this point. He made his decision, but it doesn't make him feel any better. And so, you know, he's immobile, just unresponsive. Like a, a tear just kind of just rolls down his cheek. What do you do, Fel? He, he can't say yes. He can't give me consent. This is... I, I just... I can't... I, I, look, I don't want you to hurt my friends. I want you to stop shocking them. I want you to let us go. Like, the, I, well, I don't... I don't think that's an option, Mr. Marana. And Fell starts looking around the room, seeing if there's any... anything aside from this scalpel, or... for any options on how to unfuck this situation roll a perception check alright come on baby roll high ooh that's a 19 on the die for a 33 33 is pretty good Um, you look around the room I mean you see a bunch of other surgical tools right you know and you see the door that you came through to get to this lab but you also see in one of the jars, it's a much bigger jar than some of the others. And in the jar, you see Philip Kasner's head. Um, hmm. I, I don't know, as a player, I don't know what to do with that information. Learn your lesson or don't, Mr. Morano. At this point, it is no matter to me. With her thumb, like, over the button. Fell just reflexively starts looking around for any anything on on his person which I know you said he's not wearing anything but it's like he's like naked for, during this whole time yeah <laughs> but like looking for a weapon or a, a thing or anything to, you have a scalpel true um, can I attempt to reach out to that uh, little 
doodad button thing with the wireless hack and try and disable oh no no Mm -mm. sorry it's a big negative on that one okay i didn't think so but it's worth worth asking fell is going to bum rush the scientists with the scalpel the scalpel's, the, for fucking the, with our friends, the scalpel's yeah. on the ground. Okay. Like, well, he picks it up. It picks it up. Can, go ahead. Can Ziva, like, see what he's going to do? Can no. I do, like, a, uh, like okay. you're like, I feel like you're very focused on what's going on with Orn. And so, you know, Phil picks up the scalpel, runs headlong towards the scientist, and as soon as you connect with the scientist, everything goes black for Phil. Ziva, you're standing over Orin. You see a kind of spiritual version of him hovering directly above his physical form, tethered by one purple strand. You have a scalpel in your hand with kind of shadowy essence over it. You hear, you heard a, a little bit of a kerfuffle behind you, but you look behind you and you don't see anything. You know, you see Mike and Kuiper still on the tables. Maybe in the back of the, your mind, you register that Fell isn't there, but it, it, it would be like very under your surface thoughts. And you turn back to Oren. And the scientist comes up to you and she says, This man, your friend, carries a lot of pain with him. I promise you that you are doing him a favor. By performing this procedure, you understand pain. You understand the gifts and the victory that comes in pain. I want you to understand the truths. Have you sussed out what the first two truths are? Why don't you? Tell me. Ziva, at what point did you understand that one must never accept weakness in oneself? When I was taken. Taken by who? Snipers. And how old were you? Long ago. Maybe 13. Your first truth at such a young age that one must never accept weakness. The second truth. When did you know that you must always strive for your own greatness. 
I took over the pools. The second truth. And the third truth. When did you know that pain is the reward of victory? Is Orin conscious? Is he aware of all of this? Yeah. Or is he like catatonic at this point? So you're just kind of watching them, but you can't really hear what they're saying. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like you're just watching as they stand over. But like you've, you, you, I wouldn't say you're catatonic, you know, but like you're in shock, you know? Sure. You, sure. So, chest cavity wide open, and, brain scooped right. out, and, you know? Yeah, and your spirit floating above you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does Eva know what this will do? Not entirely, no. But she's told you that it will remove his pain. She would, just as she stares at Warren, would just kind of ask the the doctor, saying, Will this sever him from Ibra? No. You swear? Swearing is for superstitious. I am a scientist. I can guarantee factually that he will not be severed from Ibra. Tears kind of starting to roll down her cheeks. Siva would reach to her left hand over to Orin's cheek and would just kind of stroke along the whiskers. She's holding his face, would flick her wrist and sever the strand. And we'll see you. What? What? Um. 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 Listen, I don't want to play it out, but I don't fucking like it, okay? <laughs> Emily, baby, what is you doing?